I am super excited to share with you this morning. Um, when Nick opened in prayer this morning, he used the words, the reality of who Jesus is. And while Jason was leading worship, he at one point had us declare in our own words who God is and who God is to us. And that's going to be such a, such a central theme of what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm really excited. I think God has already started to prepare our hearts for this message this morning. So I'd like to start just by reading a portion of scripture. If you have your Bibles with you, you're welcome to turn with me to the book of Colossians. We are going to be reading uh, from chapter 1 and verse 13 to verse 17. So that's Colossians from chapter 1, verse 13 to 17. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Heavenly Father, thank you that all things are made by you and through you exist. Thank you that we live in you and through you, Jesus. Thank you that you've already this morning started to prepare our hearts for your message. May we, may we absorb what you have for us, Father. May we learn this morning what it means to proclaim your kingdom and do it with boldness and authority in Jesus' name. Amen. So our topic of discussion today is proclaiming the kingdom through words. Now I thought I'd let you know what the topic is, just in case it doesn't come across that obvious during the message, you know what it should have been about. <laughs> So there's a well-known saying, and it goes something along the lines of, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Now there may have been a time when I would have thought that sounds about right, but I have come to learn, as I suppose all of you would completely agree, the saying is a little outdated, and in fact the opposite is true. Sticks and stones may very well break my bones, but in time, my bones will heal. Words, on the other hand, seem to have a more, a more lasting, more serious, more permanent effect. How often do we hear somebody recall words that were spoken over them years before, where a simple sentence like, you're not good enough, can end up shaping the course of someone's life, literally. And the person saying those words might have forgotten what they said moments afterward, or they might not have meant what they said, Yet the words had a profound impact. I sometimes find myself guilty of this. Saying things, maybe in anger or frustration, maybe you can relate, where we underestimate the effect our words will have on those realms. What we say, how we say it, 
when we say it matters. And it can stick with those who hear your message, whether it's positive or negative. Proverbs 18.21 reads, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who hear it, who love it, will bear its fruits. Considering this, I uh, did a little Google search and I found out that we apparently use between 7,000 and 20,000 words a day. Some maybe more than others, I don't know. <laughs> we should choose them carefully, or less. Ephesians 4.29 Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I remember a few years ago, as a young Christian, I went on a Christian youth camp. This was back in South Africa. And on this camp, I met a guy who was, he was not a Christian. And especially at the start of the camp, he acted in quite a, in quite a rebellious manner. He sort of went out of his way to disrupt a lot of the activities that we were taking part in. And he, he challenged a lot of what was being taught. I later came to understand why, but it was just, it was pretty obvious that it wasn't his first choice to be there. Now, I remember a little bit later on in the camp, we were all sitting listening to a talk, and after the talk, they divided us into these small groups where we were required to discuss uh, a little bit about ourselves and about the topic and how the topic affected us personally. And because I had been on, on one of these camps before, I'd actually been on that specific one, they asked me to lead the discussion in the specific group that I was in. So it just so happens that this, this person I mentioned before, he was in my group. And uh, so we all shared a little bit about ourselves and how it affected us, etc. And eventually it got to him. And he told us a little bit about his past, his history. And sadly it came out that he had been exposed to some, some pretty horrendous things. He, um, at a very early age, experienced significant loss in his life. He lost both parents. Um, carrying on from there, he experienced horrendous abuse, trauma. He, yeah, it, let's say just, he'd been through the mob. And it became quite obvious at one point that he sort of blamed God for what he had been through and was going through for that matter. And he was, I remember just using words like, well, if, if God loves me, why would he allow this thing to happen? If this God you're talking about is a God of love, where was he while this thing was happening to me? And I remember just sitting there thinking to myself, firstly, I couldn't even begin to imagine what it must have been like to go through what he had been through. But secondly, how do I respond to that? What do you say to that? Because my initial thought was, I'm going to share my testimony with this guy. I'm going to tell him what God's done in my life, and that God can do it in his life as well. Now, we all have a testimony, and it's important that we share it. Don't get me wrong. But in this moment, it just felt as though it was a little bit less about what God had done in my life, and more about what God could do and would do in his life 
if he just allowed it to happen. So he needed to know who this God was that would radically transform his life if he just allowed it to happen. Now, fast forwarding a little bit, he thankfully did give his heart to the Lord. And it wasn't because of what I said or what anybody else said for that matter. And I can only pray that uh, he's still serving the Lord faithfully to this day. But why did I just tell you that story? Because if we're being honest, sometimes, whether we are proclaiming the kingdom, whether we're preaching the gospel, choosing the right words is not always easy. Knowing what to say is not always, let's call it that straightforward. Maybe you can relate to this with a story of your own. Knowing what to say is not always easy. And as we're on the topic of being honest, when we first started this, this specific series a few weeks ago, if you had to ask me the question of what the kingdom of God referred to, I probably would not have been able to give you an honest answer. My best guess would have been that it refers maybe to heaven or to the kingdom that we'll live in when Jesus returns. And maybe that's part of the answer. I'm not exactly sure. You can correct me on that. But over the last few weeks, we've come to learn from multiple people, multiple speakers teaching us what the kingdom refers to. I also found it broken down very nicely in, in one, one of Paul's audio clips on the topic, where he explains the kingdom refers to the rule, authority, or sovereignty of God. So to my understanding, Proclaiming the kingdom means audibly declaring, when presented with the opportunity, the fact that God's authority is the ultimate authority. And being part of his kingdom means coming under his governance. His word is final. He is in charge. So we can tell people about the love of God. We can tell people about the goodness of God. We can tell people about his grace, mercy, etc. Fill in the blank. And these things are wonderful and they're necessary and people do need to hear them. But we must not forget to share and proclaim who God is and what it means to be under His rule. Now, just to be clear, I'm not trying to sort of separate God from the love He has for His people. That would be, this would be impossible. 1 John 4, 7-8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. My point is, it is important for me not only to know about this wonderful new life that is available to step into, full of blessing and mercy and forgiveness, it's important that I know the orchestrator of this new life the one that makes all of this possible for me. When we start to truly grasp who God is, and we fully believe in Him, we no longer desire, we no longer long for His blessing, His favor. We long for God Himself. We long for, we long for oneness with Him. Just like Janus reminded us a few weeks ago. He is in us. And we are in Him. 
from 1 John 4.13, and that's enough. Everything else is just a byproduct. Amen? Amen? And what a wonderful thing it is to enter into His kingdom. I'll be in a place where I serve the purpose that I was created for. Where I will live under the loving rule of the one who created me. So we must not fail to let people know this. God is in control. Yes, He is good, but He is God. He is not just someone that I can call on when I'm in need, when I'm afraid, when I'm sad, when I'm lonely. He is the maker of the universe. We've said this this morning. He is sovereign. He is above all. Acts 7, 24-28 The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Remember that sentence. He himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. I was listening to a talk a while back. Something the speaker said really gripped me. And I'd like to share it with you this morning. When Jesus walked on earth, he was fully man, but he was still fully God. Remember, we cannot separate the Father from the Son, the Son from the Spirit, and the Spirit from the Father. He was still fully God. So, while Jesus was being tortured in the worst possible way, leading up to and during his crucifixion, while he was being subject to the worst pain imaginable, he was still the one holding everything and everyone together. Think about that for a second. Even those inflicting this extreme pain on him. He was still the one providing the breath needed for life to those inflicting this pain on him. He was still the one holding the universe together in that moment. Does he love us? He does. Does he understand the pain that you're experiencing right now? He does. This God we're talking about, he is the one who holds the universe together. When I tell people about the kingdom, I'm not just proclaiming all the wonderful things he's done for me. I'm proclaiming who he is. And why is that important? Because if I'm going to expect someone to serve the Lord and fully serve him, they must know who it is that they are serving. I'm reminded of that time when, uh, when God addressed Job from the whirlwind in Job chapter 14. After, let's just say, Job had been through some ups and downs, to say the least. And in both chapter 40 and 41, we won't read it now. Feel free to read it in your own time. But God describes these two creatures that appear to be the largest of his creation. Now I'm going to try and pronounce their names, but I'm going to probably butcher it a little bit. It's Behemoth and Leviathan. Leviathan. Thank you. <laughs> I did it right. 
So what exactly they were, I'm not 100% sure on. Um, one seemed to have lived on land, and the other seemed to have been a water-based creature. I even, Josh will back me up on this, the behemoth one, which was the land-based animal, seemed to quite well uh, fit a description of something called the cirripod dinosaur. One with a long neck, apparently, if you, if you read carefully, but I'm not sure. Anyway, God then goes on to ask Job these sort of rhetorical questions. It's almost like he was challenging Job. He was saying to him, would you be able to take on one of these creatures that I have created? And he sort of answers it in chapter 41, verse 9. He says, any hope of you overcoming him is false. And this was in reference to that sea-based creature. He said, you would be overwhelmed at the sight of him. This is very clearly a pretty large animal or creature of some sort. He says, no one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. So God is basically saying to Job here, you would crumble at the very sight of this creature that I have created. And he says in verse 10, who then is able to stand against me? Basically, God was letting Job know. He's bigger than all of his problems, his troubles, his issues, and everything else. He is still in control. And then he goes on to say in the end of verse 11, Everything under heaven is mine. That's almost like a little mic drop moment there. Just, that's it. Full stop. And when I hear these words, I'm reminded that God is not an idea. God is not a feel-good remedy. He is a real person. And He must have my utmost respect or surrender. As we have come to learn, if our faith is going to be authentic, it must be built on the knowledge of God. I must know who it is that I'm serving. And when this happens, we move and think and speak in our true identity. We seek to serve and not be served. It's no longer about me. My prayer is no longer, Lord, what can you do for me? It's, Lord, what can I do for you? It's no longer, Lord, bless me, but how can I be a blessing to you? It's all about Him, His kingdom, His will, His authority. <coughs> Just like in the words of John the Baptist. There is one greater than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to carry. <coughs> I must acknowledge the authority of the King. Yes, He can provide protection and supply the needs of His people. But we must acknowledge His position as King. He has the ultimate authority. And as ruler, what does God expect from us? We'll get to that in a second's time. When I'm proclaiming the kingdom, I must consider, is what I'm proclaiming biblical? Is it from God? Because if we are not careful, the words we say, when proclaiming the kingdom, or when preaching the gospel, it might sound clever, but have no substance. And words like that will bring glory only to ourselves. Is what I'm proclaiming biblical? 
The words we speak when we address God's people, they can draw them closer to Him or lead them further away from Him. And I've wrestled with this idea a little bit myself, especially in preparation for today. I've prayed, Lord, is this the message that you've intended for your people? Is this the right thing? Or are these simply empty words that I've put on a piece of paper? How do I know that? And I was reminded of that portion of scripture from Mark 13, where Jesus was warning his disciples of the end times and some of the challenges that they were about to face. And he says to them at the end of verse 11, But when they arrest you and deliver you off, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you'll speak. But whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that. For it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was promising them the Holy Spirit for uh, you know, the ministry and for, for evangelism, for testimony of the gospel. And I appreciate that the context here is a little bit different. You know, these guys were about to be arrested for their faith. They were about to be questioned. They were about to be persecuted. However, the same spirit that was promised to guide their speech dwells in us. And I firmly believe when we pray to God and we spend time in His Word and we study it and we ask Him, He will give us a word. It might be beforehand. It might be last minute. But He will give us a, a word. And I've heard that happen in this church before, multiple times, where somebody comes to the front, where they're about to speak, and they say, well, I had this thing planned, but God has just laid this thing on my heart. So hold on tight, here we go. I'd like to encourage us all, don't worry. Listen out for the voice of the Lord. Be aware of His Spirit working in you and through you. And be obedient to His guidance and instruction. When we proclaim the kingdom, quote the Bible. Speak the word when you proclaim the kingdom. Remember, as followers of Christ, we believe that the Bible is the ultimate authority in our lives. This book is written by men, but it's inspired by God. There is no higher authority. Speak it. Proclaim it. If you are going to proclaim the kingdom with boldness and authority, prepare yourself. Be ready. And Paul, but Peter, tells us about this. He warns us. He says, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Be ready to have that conversation. Do it with gentleness, do it with respect, yet with boldness and without compromise. I've thought about that. The reason for the hope that is in me. Why do I have hope? Well, I have hope because despite my circumstances, despite what's happening in the world around me, my God is bigger. He's bigger than my circumstances. And He has already overcome the forces of evil. He has the victory. We live in victory. Again, we were reminded of this a few weeks ago. We should live in that reality. Our God is the one true God who rules over all. And it just so happens that He loves me. Though I don't deserve it, I certainly didn't earn it, He still chose me. And He chose you. What does He ask of us in return? 
Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He demands our complete surrender. <coughs> let the power of your words be used by God to show his power. Our words should demonstrate the power of God's grace and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Matthew 12, verse 34 to 35 tells us, The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. We will proclaim what's in our hearts. And what we speak is evidence of the work of God in us. So when you proclaim the kingdom, speak in love. Let your words be kind and gentle. Proverbs 13 verse 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When I'm speaking to someone, there's no need to do it in a confrontational manner, even if that's their approach. The person I was speaking about a little bit earlier, he's a, he's a perfect example of this. When you speak to somebody about God, they might be going through some really difficult things in their life. And they might blame God for what they're going through. So you talking to them and teaching them and telling them about God, this might stir up some anger in them. But it's very difficult for someone to stay angry and confrontational if all they receive in return is kindness and love. Proverbs 12 verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Allow your words to be used by God to bring healing to broken hearts. Allow your words to build people up, not break them down. Proverbs 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. In our human capacity, we can't do any of these things. So we must pray that the Holy Spirit will guide and guard our lips. So that what we say will bring life, lift up, encourage, support those around us. Amen? Amen. Now I'd like to, in sort of closing, just speak this over us as a congregation. May God enable us to use our words, not only as an instrument of His love and saving grace, but to tell people who He is, to proclaim His reign, His rule, His authority. Who He is is wonderful. Knowing Him is wonderful. And when I have His Spirit in me, I want to proclaim His kingdom so that people will know and see and understand why it's important, why it's necessary for us to submit to Him. Tell people who He is. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, your thoughts, your deeds. Your words. Acknowledge Him. Acknowledge who He is. 
There is power in His Word. And when He speaks through you, His words can and will carry power. Allow that to happen. Allow His Spirit to proclaim His kingdom through you. Amen.